City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of The Vault. I'm your host, James Plowright. Joining me, as always, after a little week off, Chase Whitney. Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. We're getting pretty pretty busy here with work. But, uh, you know, I, I also, I, it's nice to note that every once in a while we do a podcast where the time lines up, where it's light out in England when you're recording. So it's good to know that, like, the sun is out where you live because most of the time it's just really dark. And it's good to know that there's some sun shining through the windows there still. It's pitch black here. I don't know what you're talking about. Is it really? <laughs> yes. Is that your light? Oh, that must be your light in the background. Oh, yeah. No, it's completely. It went dark here like an hour and a half. It was dark at four o'clock now. There we go. So. All right. Well, then we cannot confirm that the sun ever comes out where James lives then. Yet again, we're back in the dark. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? Your, your observation there has gone about as well as the Hornets season so far. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, joining us this week, uh, Matt Issa uh, of... SB Nation MBA of Optra Analyst, of Fansided, of Basketball News, of Forbes Sport. Matt, is there anywhere that I've forgotten that you do not write, podcast, or talk about basketball? No, I, I think you got all the, the bases. Um, I mean, I, I talk about it in my local local dive bar, but I, I, don't, I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to, to hear me talking about it there. Um, yeah, what's up, guys? It's good, it's good to be back on. It's been a while. We're on a new new platform uh, lots changed it has a lot has changed new podcast network new platform we've 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 boosted things up a little bit on our end and uh matt's joined us today to kind of give us a 
a neutral viewpoint, a voice of reason here. You know, me and Chase been watching all the games. You all know if you're listening to this how the Hornets are doing. But we want to get some kind of somebody follows the the league as a whole closely on the podcast to to talk to us about some of the issues the Hornets are facing. But but most importantly, Matt, the new haircut looks good. And thank you. This is thank this is why <laughs> this is why we had to uh, you know set the time of our podcast today around Matt's haircut, and it's looking it's looking hot. So you're all you're all good, Matt. Well, James, so I'm, I'm sure Chase has referenced this, and I'm sure, you know, being intertwined with America for a long time, you know that this week is uh, Thanksgiving. Yes. And um, I have to go home. My um, my mother, she has she has an issue with when my, you know, my facial hair, my, my hair on top of my head gets sloppy. So, yeah, kind of had to do it. Got to keep your mom happy. That's, that's important, mm-hmm. right? That's rule number one. Uh, keep your mom happy. So... Um, right. The, the first thing we're going to kick off today is just looking at the state of the Hornets, a little bit big picture, really, in terms of what Charlotte should do from here. Uh, the Hornets are one in 12 in the last 13 games. They are currently got four wins, 14 losses. They are just ahead of the Houston Rockets and Detroit Pistons uh, on wins, but are essentially at the seller of the league. And it looks like Gordon Hayward might miss some more time. Uh, re-aggravate the foot injury things are looking pretty bleak right now and the last time me and Chase spoke was a couple of weeks ago you know it, it wasn't looking good and then it's looking even worse now and Matt from from your perspective someone doesn't follow the team every day and I know you're someone who isn't a proponent really of tanking what is your general view on the state of the, the Charlotte Hornets and what should fans be rooting for this way in terms of building this team back up into a, a playoff contender. Yeah. So, um, apologize for my voice. We kind of talked about this earlier. I don't have it, but, um, so you guys have to put up with that, but, um, I am like, okay, so I understand the math, right? The best way for a small market team to be good is to tank. It makes a lot of sense. Mathematically. I'm a proponent of the numbers. I use data in all my analysis. Right. But it just bothers me because like, this is a human game and I feel like tanking really dehumanizes like players. And like, it's like, we have this problem as a society where we're always looking towards the future, never enjoying the present. So it's just kind of like this never ending self-perpetuating cycle. Um, reminds me a lot of the movie Chinatown. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Chinatown, one of the, the best movies of all time, but like the whole plot point is like the villain of the movie is doing all these bad things um, for the sake of the future, which we don't know is guaranteed. We don't know what we have. That's completely different aside, philosophical reason why I dislike tanking, despite what the numbers might say. With all of that said, the Hornets should 100% tank this season. Like, it's tough. It is tough right now. It's, you guys cannot, and I want to talk about why. I don't think LaMelo Ball is like a, you know, one of the 10 best players in the world. I don't think you guys think that. But he he is so important to what this team is on both sides of the ball, mostly offensively, but he's so important, just his play style and what it unlocks for this team with him missing time with Gordon Hayward, who is like really good at basketball when he plays with him, just not being able to stay healthy with the Rozier stuff, the DSJ stuff, you know, the bridges thing, um, all of that. It just, it's just not your year, man. It's not going to happen. I think this is like the, and I don't really don't think, you guys need to try to tank. Like, I think you guys are going to lose. Like, not to, to, to crap on the fan base. I, I've watched way too many of your games at this point, way too many games. And 
you guys don't need to like purposefully tank in a disrespectful way. You guys are just going to lose anyways. So yeah, definitely tank this year. Chase, how have you found watching the last couple of weeks since we last spoke? And, and do you agree with Matt's viewpoint there? Yeah. So I, firstly, I kind of agree with Matt's stance on tanking. Like it really is just a bad precedent to set almost just being like, we do not care about what is supposed to be the main objective of not only basketball, but just all sports and competition in general. Like we're not even going to attempt to win. We're not putting the best roster on the floor. Like I don't think anyone should do that on purpose ever, but like Matt said, the Hornets didn't do that on purpose and that's still where they're at right now. Like they, I think a lot of this goes back to, and people have, I've forgotten this very small uh, and easy to forget detail. So I'm not like saying people are being forgetful or anything, but miles bridges, that whole situation happened after the NBA draft. If that happened before, and I'm not, you know, saying that this, their basketball decision should be impacted by like the American legal system or whatever, but if that had happened before the NBA draft, who knows what type of trades they make? Who knows if they trade Jalen Duren to the Pistons? Who knows, like, if they don't move Mason Plumley or Kelly Oubre at the draft and put themselves in a position to give all of these young players even more minutes um, that people want them to see them play right now, like during the season as they're now 4-14 four and 14 after what looked like it could have been a decent start beating a couple of good teams in the beginning of the year, like Atlanta and Golden State, but... It's just fallen off of a cliff since then, and now it's just not it, – it hasn't really recovered. They're not going to have much of a choice if LaMelo doesn't come back in the next five to ten games as to whether or not, you know, they're they're tanking this year. And it's unfortunate because it's not like – it's not really anybody's fault and they're not doing it on purpose, but it's kind of just the best route at this point. I, I think normally ownership, GMs get quite a lot of criticism for tanking. I think this is one of the points where I think they would get criticism if they don't. Like, it, the excuse here is on a silver platter. Everything that happened in the offseason with the coaching staff, Miles Bridges, player injuries being the biggest factor probably here at the start of the season. No one is going to blame ownership, coaching staff, if they, they trade a few of the expiring veterans uh, who are on the roster. It, it, it's right there. It is the most clear and present obvious route forward the fan base would be i think more frustrated like you look at the schedule the hornets have like a really heavy home end of the season over like the last 20 games and i can i can already see the situation where you know they're going to be trotting out their win now lineups in the last 20 games of the season and go like 10 and 10 and move up from being fifth in the lottery odds to 10th and like steve clifford just left the orlando magic situation because he did not want to be part of a rebuild. Now, that was going to be a, a multi-year rebuild with Orlando. But with Charlotte, I think what people are more looking for is like a, a one-year kind of dip down, Tim Duncan style. Um, obviously, that is the most successful uh, example. So that's why it's referenced. It can't, probably won't be that successful. But, you know, my worry is Steve Clifford is not going to do that. Like We know at this point what Steve Clifford does as a coach with the, when he was here with the Bobcats, when he's been with Orlando. He is going to coach his guys to win every single night. He's not going to give young players playing time. And when the Hornets decided to rebuild, they knew they had to get rid of Steve Clifford. They brought in James Borrego because they knew he would not be the coach for that. And this is my worry now. They're in this situation where even if 
GM Mitch and Jordan and ownership Michael Jordan want to kind of go down. Yeah, let's just mail, let's let's move on from this year. I I don't think Steve Clifford's going to be happy with that. I don't think he's going to suddenly gift playing time to Bryce McGowan's and Mark Williams over Mason Plumley and and other other players. Um, I have a real concern about Steve Clifford being the right coach for this environment and. And will he be able to be talked round? Do we think to viewing it differently? I, I, I have two questions for you guys that I had in my notes. Um, one, like more overarching philosophical; the other about this team. How, like, do you guys like this? I, I mean, this like really respectfully. But how do you guys feel about Steve Clifford? Like, I felt like that was the weirdest. Like, the, nobody ever talks about it because, like, you know, Charlotte's fan base doesn't get national attention all the time. But it's just like the weirdest like coaching kind of situation, like where they, they were like interested in Mike D'Antoni. He seemed like the perfect guy to pair with Lamelo Ball. Um, and then you just kind of end up with Clifford who, you know, seems like a great guy. I love, I love some of the assistants, um, Bayer and Corbin, but yeah, I just, I'm just curious what you guys think about that. You get first chase. Uh, I have thoughts. Yeah. So started the year like I feel uh, not that we got like fooled by it but when they beat the Spurs by 30 or 20 some 27 whatever it ended up being they beat the Hawks by like 20 points and then they beat the Warriors in overtime I thought that there was something brewing at least until LaMelo got back and hopefully would have stayed healthy but now we know that that didn't happen but yeah it's just tough because he essentially like, I think, especially with hindsight, every single Hornets fan would have strongly preferred that Kenny Atkinson just not bail out of the job uh, for whatever reasons that he ended up doing it for. And then they just had him still because it's a younger guy, somebody that presumably would be more willing to, like, grow with the team. It would only have been his second head coaching role. And that was kind of his, his whole thing in Brooklyn originally was, like, growing with all of the young players that were impacting a team that was a little bit better than they were supposed to be there. But Steve Clifford just kind of ended up being like the fallback option because Mike D'Antoni wanted to like general manager powers or like to make personnel decisions. And at a certain point, like, I mean, Darvin Ham went to the Lakers. Obviously he wasn't going to go to the Charlotte Hornets over the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like there were just no options left really. And Clifford was not, he was like not a bad option, but he wasn't a good one either. And now I think it's just proving like with the, how, what the record is going with and how the team has been playing lately, it's becoming like hindsight is 2020, obviously, but it just makes it like even more difficult to be like in support of the long-term hire. I think it, in the short term, it's fine. Like there are not that many coaches that would get what Clifford is getting out of this roster right now. But like, is that what the Hornets need? Like it's getting to be, pretty clear like no in that regard I think yeah I, I think judging anything that's happened this season I'd almost just throw it out because the, the Hornets have just not had their guys right Steve Cliff has been trying to make you know make things work with guys who are borderline out the league or some of the worst players in the league statistically which we'll, we'll get onto later um it, it was bizarre it was a Jordan move Jordan essentially superseded Mitch Kupchak and stepped in and said I want to bring back Steve Clifford uh, they still had a relationship. That's what he wanted to do. Um, he wanted someone to bring defensive accountability. You look at this team defensively over the last four years under Borrego, it was terrible. That's what Steve Clifford is is known for. Um, 
you look at it this year, I think they're 22nd in defense, which still isn't good. But we know Steve Clifford is a good defensive coach. With James Borrego, we did not know that, right? Um, we know Steve Clifford from his two last stints as head coach. He's got teams with not fantastic defensive talent, you know, teams built around Al Jefferson, Nick Vucevic, to play like a very good defensive level. So if this team doesn't defend well, I think you have a really clear idea that this is the, the players are not capable of doing it rather than it being the system. Uh, the big issue I always had with Steve Clifford is like, one, it doesn't feel like a very long-term hire, um, but long-term coaches in the NBA doesn't happen that, that often in terms of guy being here more than four or five years. But like, how is he going to build that relationship with all these young players on the roster? Like Steve Clifford and Lamelle Ball, I feel viewed basketball in a very, very different way. And Mike D'Antoni and Lamelle Ball probably view it in a more similar way. And either that can kind of create like fire and ice where it's perfect because you have the, the flair and the creativity and the defense and the accountability where they, they come together and you get the best of both. Or it creates a point where you just can't get on the same page. And that was always my worry with Steve Clifford. But the problem is, I just don't think you've seen anything yet to, to be able to make a judgment on his ability to coach or not. But the one thing I will say, and with the team record being how it is, I mean, James Brager got fired after getting 42 wins. Um, if this season goes as badly as it went, well, like everyone was saying in the preseason, Steve Clifford has got a razor thin margin of error because of the situation of how he was hired and it has not gone well. I don't think any of this is Steve Clifford's fault, but just with how they moved on from Borrego so quickly, it would not shock me if he was a casualty at some point this year, um, even though I think injuries are a large part to play. That would mean Jordan would have to pay another coach after paying James Borrego so it feels like that part of it feels unlikely and he's got a strong relationship there. But I, I hope the Hornets don't do that. I really do. But I just worry from if they finish bottom of the league or towards the bottom, that that might be something they look for a fall guy, even though there's a bunch of situations, circumstances that, that go into this. I, I say I'm not hoping for that. I think Steve Clifford was doing good things with the team before all the injuries hit. But I, I have a worry about that. I know it's not my job to ask the questions. I was just curious because I was just, you know, I just perplexed by the whole situation. No, I think Chase said it best, where he's like, he wasn't a, he wasn't a bad option, but he's not a good one either. I think that's like the best way to summarize it all. Yeah, but I mean, overall, I think it's just been. I was chatting to Chase before the podcast. As someone who, you know, you obviously have a bit more of a neutral line. Myself and Chase have a, a rooting interest. I would say. It's been a really hard watch this year. I've really not found the games very enjoyable, exciting. And I think fans feel that a lot as well. I think you look back to that, what is it, 2018 year, 2019, where Devontae Graham came out of nowhere and Terry Rozier was playing well and you had like young PJ Washington. Those teams were terrible, but they were, they were feisty. They were fun because they were young and you were seeing young guys play. But you're watching like Kelly Oubre and Mason Plumley here. You actually probably did have some expectation coming into the season. So it's not like you went into the year thinking the team were going to be terrible. Um, you know, you, you don't have the excitement of watching guys like Miles Bridges play when he was playing last year. And you're just not seeing many of the young players, JT Thor, Kai Jones, James Booknight. You don't get to see those guys play. And when they do, they look terrible. I mean, Kai Jones, there's, there's been a lot of excitement about Kai Jones who's got rotation minutes in two games. 
Like, we all know Kai can do amazing dunks and can sky for offensive rebounds. It's everything else that Kai needs to work on. So I just want to say to people, I, I really like Kai Jones. I still believe in long term. But let's not see him do a dunk on a fast break and be like, see, Kai should be playing. Come on. It's more complicated than that. You know how much goes into a game? Like screening, being able to not be turnover prone. His shot still looks pretty broken. There's, Yeah, but these young guys aren't looking good and they're not playing and the team is losing. So I, I don't know where fans are supposed to get excited about this. This is my challenge. The NBA season is heating up. And so is the race for MVP, sixth man of the year, and most improved player. I've already put a little bit of money down on sixth man of the year. I've gone Christian Wood, Marco Brogdon. And the reason I've done a couple of guys is because if you get long enough odds, you can just kind of hedge your bets. If one of them wins, you make money either way. So when I'm looking to get into the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and they get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same game parlay and combine multiple bets, which team will win, total rebounds and more. A couple I've got my eye on, Nick Richards rebounds over. I think it is Playing time is going to go up here, and I think especially against the Philadelphia 76ers, no Joel Embiid, he's well-placed to have a big game. So that's something I'm trying to pair, maybe with a couple like good matchups, maybe PJ Washington points over, Terry Rozier points over. Just have a look at the defensive matchup with both of those players. Make sure to download the app now. Sign up with promo code TBPN. Place a $5 pre-game Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, it has been very... T- and it's like, so much of it is just due to LaMelo not playing, but at a certain point, like how much of it can really fall back to the same exact thing for like the entire, like not, not from like a literal standpoint because it literally is because LaMelo is not playing, but for fans, like it's like, you can't go through October, November, December, January, just being like, well, this is still fun. Um, LaMelo's not playing, but so I'm going to enjoy it either way. Like that's, that's what makes it like not in, not in as enjoyable anymore. It's, it's just, it's become a little bit unfortunate. And it's not to say that, like, the guys now, like, aren't trying. Like, they're playing their asses off. Like, yeah. these are some really, really close games against teams and rosters, especially with their health, that are far more put together and more cohesive than they are. Like, the overtime game or double overtime game against Cleveland, like, Terry Rozier elevated to, like, another stratosphere and, like, crunched, like, to hit that shot that sent it into overtime, especially. Like, that's not something that he should have to do as often as they would need him to do it to have close games like that's that's an absurd shot to have to rely on basically just to keep the game going like and that's where they've been at like the last like week part in particular like after that Miami game like every game has been close since they left Florida basically but they just can't get there because they don't have the like the guys for it and it's just it's it's unfortunate I think the worst part I want to talk about the ball thing in a second, but the worst part is all these injuries are to like their advantage creators. You know, the guy, their, their lead ball handlers. It's not just like 
you know, it's littered, like, you know, throughout the roster evenly. It's like Rozier, DSJ, obviously LaMelo, Gordon Hayward. Any guy who can get, like, any separation is, you know, injured. And it leads to – if you look at, like, Ubre and um, Washington's, like, true shooting percentages, they're bad. And it's – I don't think it's because they're inefficient players. I think it's just because they're, you know – 10 pick and roll ball handler reps too many, like every game. Like, you know, I think Uber, and I have thoughts about Uber. I have, I have some serious thoughts about Uber. Come on, give us your Uber thoughts then. I yeah. think Uber is going to be the Derek White of this season. I think wherever he goes, it's going to make a big difference in the postseason. Because here's my thing. Here's my thing. Well, first of all, question is it just me or is Uber? I'm not saying he's like an, uh, the most effective defender, but is he not the most aesthetically pleasing defender in the NBA? Like, he like, he literally like, looks like a predator like stalking his prey in like the savannah okay. like, the way he like yes in terms punches of looking, his back yeah. over yeah the way he i'm not saying like the the, the result i'm saying how like just <laughs> like how he looks the aesthetic of it he's like got his back hunched over he's like he gives him like that thousand thousand yard stare but um he's like he's a good defender he's a good screen navigator um i think he's a little bit overburdened on this defense but he's a willing defender he's got a high motor and i think um, it was I was listening to the Busby um, pod, and they were talking about how like he's a thirty-two percent three-point shooter who can trick teams into thinking he's a thirty-nine percent three-point shooter. And they were saying it like it's a bad thing, but it's actually like a really good thing that he can get defenders to close out on him like that. He has that, and then these ball handling reps he's getting. Obviously, you don't want him to be your primary ball handler. You don't want him to be your secondary ball handler. You don't want him to be your tertiary ball handler. But like he's getting like. Just you never you're gonna need somebody like that. You're gonna need every on the best teams, the teams that go deep, you have like three, four guys who can who can handle pick and roll ball handling session in a playoff setting. And I think that's gonna be so important. These reps he's getting right now, where he's getting overburdened. I think if you put that on like a really good team where he's like the seventh guy on the team that, you know, in minutes or whatever, I think that's gonna be really important. And I think, yeah, that's that's my thing on Obrey. I think I think some Hornets fans would push back about him being a good defender. I think he's been better this year, but he's generally he looks like a toolsy defender, but he's been pretty poor, especially like foul prone, off ball, like just gets backs cut for days. Um, the, the, I think the challenge with Ubre is he might play like this no matter who where he is. <laughs> Kelly could be like on the Boston Celtics, like starting next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And he might be taking the same like variety of shots because he just seems to kind of like play that way. And I think with this roster, it kind of fits right now because of what they need. But I, uh, but he'll definitely make his presence felt wherever he goes. I don't know what the impact will always be, but I agree this year for this Hornets team, he's been he's been pretty positive. Uh, okay, I did I should have caveated with if you can if the team can rein him in, if they can rein mm. in um, that's a challenge his, his aggression a little bit. And I, I think the defensive thing, the things you're talking about, I think a lot of that's being overburdened. I don't think he's he's built to be like your best perimeter, your best non big man defender. But if he's like your third best non big man defender or second best non big man defender, I think that looks a lot better. Okay, let's let's move on now to a couple of kind of debates about particular players. Nick Richards versus Mason Plumley. The, the debate for the ages. Mason Plumley starting the season is as we've discussed. We think the team would be best to rebuild. Can any of you give me a reason why Nick Richards shouldn't start over Mason Plumley going forward? Um, I mean, I just think that the only the only reason I, I'm 
I'm I'm kind of where you guys are. I'm pro Nick Richards kind of taking um, the cape in that role. But I think the only thing would be like the passing. I think Plumlee's yeah. like a far exactly. better passer and they like to run a lot of like that delay, the delay sets. And I mean, I just couldn't see Nick Richards ever executing anything like that. And I think that they're better team in transition on offense with Plumlee because Plumlee, I know you guys hate it. I know Hornets fans hate this, but he can grab and go. He can grab and go. It's not, it's not usually fruitful, but he can do it. And I'd much rather. I'm, I'm with you. I think people do. give him way too much flack for like taking the ball and dribble. Like it's mm-hmm. an advantage to have a guy that can grab a rebound mm-hmm. and then dribble it up the floor. Like I, I don't I'm I'm with you on that. You you guys should have seen my mentions after I wrote an article outlining how the Hornets could extend Mason Plumley, um, <laughs> because he's actually extension eligible. And I, they must he, have killed you. I, I can't. Oh, I didn't, it, I'll have to go it, back and look the, at those. the thing. Is 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 classic. Like people don't even read the article where I talk about how I don't think they should do it, but mm. blah, blah, blah. But people going, oh, this guy's a joke, blah, blah, Like, just read the article. I literally say inside it, I don't think they should do it. But I was outlining the reasons why they could in terms of if you need a – if you want a veteran backup center, like free agency, you're looking like Nerlens Noel, Andre Drummond. Mason Plumlee's probably like a better fit than those guys, and that's why you would it. But anyway, I, I got I got a piece for that. Um, I think you're abs- I think you hit the nail on the head, Matt. With the roster as currently constructed in the Mellow out, they just need some creation in that team. Uh, otherwise, Terry Zero is having to do absolutely everything. And I, I, I was going to put this, I was going to do a whole video about this, and I'm glad I didn't, saying that once Lamella was back, I think Nick Richards might go into that starting unit because he's a much better kind of lob target with Lamello. Um, and you've got that creation back with Lamello, Rosier, Hayward. And I think Richards fits better around that. Without those some of those talented players, I think that's why Mason Plumley I think will have a secure a secure start. Even though we've talked about before, that second unit could could really do with some of his passing. Um, but I mean, if you look at the numbers, I've got them here. Uh, Nick Richards on the Hornets are plus zero point six next net rating with Mason on the minus eleven. The offense is better with Nick on the floor. The defense is better with Nick on the floor. Uh, Richards has a better block percentage, a lower foul rate, a better offensive rebound percentage, lower turnover rate. Um, he's also averaging, like, this big thing, he's like averaging half the deflections Mason Plumlee is, so I don't think he's as active in terms of those other areas, but he's contesting actually more shots per game than, than, Nick Rich, uh, than Mason Plumlee. So there's obviously a lot of areas there where Richards is outperforming Plumlee, but not in terms of defensive rebounding, assists, and creation, which is the the key area for a challenged Hornets offense right now, and that's the only reason I think he might continue to start. But if, if I'm being honest, I'd be happy for it to happen, and I think it probably will happen at some point, either by trade if Mitch Kupchak wants to trade Mason Plumley before the deadline, and then they they get to see what they've got in Mark Williams, Kai Jones, Nick Richards. I think that's probably the most likely way because while he's here, I just don't see a world where Steve Clifford's going to bench Mason Plumley because. Steve Clifford does not care what you think. He's going to try and win every game. Yeah, I, I like I applaud him for it. And yeah. the cool thing about this Hornets team, like I said, Steve Clifford can try and win all he wants, man. It's not it's not going to happen too many times. But I can understand where like you guys are like kind of worried because like you know um, the the guy at number one is is a very tantalizing guy. And Who is that this sure. year? I've not I've not heard. Yeah, he's 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 a niche guy, a really niche guy. Uh, yeah. Only only the diehards know about him, but 
I, I, I just, I just want to add on, on that. Everyone says tank for Victor Wembanyama. The best odds you can have to get Victor Wembanyama are 14%. I just want to remind everyone that. 14. You can lose every game of the season. Fans would say, well done, they'd have 14% chance. And then, if they didn't get Victor Wembanyama, which is very unlikely, you know the same fans telling them to tank for Victor this year will be the same fans next year who go, lol, the Hornets tanked all of last year and didn't even get Victor Wembanyama. And they'd laugh at, like, laugh at the franchise. When they're the same ones telling them, like, it's just a reality. There is an 80, um, a, a nine, 85% chance or worse that they will not get him. And people, I don't think they choose to ignore, like, the facts of that. And James, that was the, remember earlier I mentioned I had two questions for you guys. The other one was, can tanking be, like, traumatic? Like, could you guys think of it as, like, a traumatic experience for the players? And, like, it does, does, it does that 14% chance, does that outweigh – the trauma you might in- inflict on the guys who like, you know, you want to make it through the rebuild. Well, you look at, there's just been a documentary done on the seven and 59 Bobcats, um, which there's was a documentary. On the, there is a, you need to go find it. Um, it's, it's, it's two, it's a two hour, 20 minute documentary, Matt. You'll love it. We've had, we just released a podcast earlier this week about it, where I had one of the creators on Seth Rosenthal um, came on the podcast to talk about it. Um, and oh, the, did it. the secret base guys did it. Yes, secret base guys okay. did it exactly. Okay. Yeah, so I definitely I recommend. Yeah, go watch that, uh, and also check out our podcast with with Seth. We talked to some extra interesting bits from there. So I think it can be traumatic. Yes, but then you also argue like Kemba Walker went through that and became an All NBA player. So it didn't stop him. But there's a lot of guys, you know, Bismarck Biombo. Maybe you argue it held him back from his career, but. I, I think so. It, it can be. But I don't think this team will be bad enough that it will be a traumatic tank. Uh, Chase, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree that it, it won't be that bad, especially if LaMelo, Hayward, whoever comes back and there's a couple of high-level players to watch every night. But I do think from like a player, like coaching staff perspective, like can you imagine telling these guys like, hey, like, we're not going to put in all of our effort into you guys this year so we can get this 19-year-old kid from France to come in and take all of your minutes, and then we can give him all of the touches other than LaMelo, and then we'll be good again. Doesn't that sound good, guys? Like, that is, an like, a wild thing to, like, sincerely tell a group of players and coaches. Like, and you wouldn't say it in those literal terms, but that is what you're telling them. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, these guys are smart. They can infer, like, oh, they're, they want to lose this year uh, in the one year where, like, the top of the draft is supposed to be, like, these excellent players. Or not the one year, but the rare year where the top three picks are all, like, number one quality guys. Like, it's just not feasible. Like, players and coaches don't think like fans, and they never, ever will. Yeah. Like, on, and the vets as, will want whether, fan, And fans can be right sometimes. Like, that might be the best option for the Hornets. Like, we've mentioned it many times, but they're, the team is never going to think that. And that's why I call it dehumanizing, man. That's why yeah. it, it gets at me. But yeah, you, you said it on the nail chase. It's not a computer simulation. If it, if it mm-hmm. was, yeah, all right. of the A teams would do it. But there are real people involved, and like that, you if you start to do that, like all, all the vets will want out. Terror is here. He w- he won't want to be part of that. Kelly Oubre, Mason, like, and people will say. Some people say, well, good riddance to Kelly Oubre, Mason Plumley. All right, <laughs> but like, and, and Gordon Haywood. But Terry is, is not going to want to be part of that, even if he is here on a, a five-year extension. Absolutely not. So, yeah, you, you've got to understand about the, the message that sends and the, 
frustrations that can create in, in the locker room as well. Um, yeah, because it's, it's a different situation when like you go to Detroit, you know what you're signing up for. These players were not signing up for this in Charlotte. They didn't come into it the season with this mentality. Um, anything else on Nick or Mason, either of you? Or should we move on to talk about PJ Washington? I'm good, unless you have something, Chase. I just have one quick thought. I think my overarching reason for why Mason starts just generally is he's more physical. Nick, I, mm-hmm. I, I, there were a couple of clips last night and in, in the Cleveland game as well. When Nick is on the floor, which goes to your defensive rebounding stat, James, they don't, the team does not box out as well. And that's like a very old man yelling at cloud thing to be like really mad about, but it's, it matters. Like you need to put a body on guys. Like I'm Especially looking at a clip I have on my computer. Yeah, exactly. Like he's the type of coach that really gets bothered by that and will like not start you for something like that. But I'm looking at a clip right now. 93-85 is the score. Eight minutes left in the fourth quarter for anybody that wants to go on the NBA stats page and look it up uh, afterwards themselves. Bradley Beal takes a mid-range jump shot. Pause the pause it while the shot is in the air. Every Hornets player is standing still with their arms at their sides, except for Dennis Smith Jr., who is the farthest away from the basket, and Gordon Hayward, who is contesting the shot. Nick Richards is just looking at the rim. Kristaps Porzingis is flying in from behind him, like about looking like he's about to try and tip slam it. Jordan Goodwin's crashing the boards. Uh, Bradley Beal is like in a ready stance in case the ball bounces to him. Like this, that is like that is very, very emblematic of like why Nick Richards is not starting. I think like that. If you wanted to pick one thing and extrapolate it over a season, that's probably why. I'm, I'm just gonna add one little nugget to that because I, I also noticed something but I feel like it's not that he's not physical it's like it's like he's like he doesn't know how to use the physical like on offense I see him be like too mm-hmm. physical sometimes and he'll draw like that's off the yeah setting that's screens. actually so I, yeah, like you're probably right. like, I think he has like he's a strong guy I just I think he doesn't know when to turn it on and off yet he might just turn it off at the, the weird times and that might play into the reason why Plumley fouls more but that's it's just me yeah, I, I don't know if it was the exact clip you described, but I literally tweeted out a clip yesterday of Nick Richards just watching Bradley Beal shoot, and it's, he just watched yes. it in the air, and he and then uh, Pazingas came in and got the rebound. I I don't know, it could be two of those, but I clipped that exact one yesterday. So I watched I, that possession made me be like, all right, I have to pause this game and pull up my screen recording thing <laughs> because I saw that possession, and then the one the next possession is the one that I was talking about because it was ninety one eighty five in your clip, and then it was ninety three eighty five in the one that I was talking about. So it is literally back to back possessions, and which is the so one bizarre. You posted was what sparked it for me, and then I saw that one and was like, okay, I gotta. Because on the offensive like, end, he's this. so physical and he gets himself in position so well. He's huge. He's a he's a massive dude. Like, but you see this in rebounder the, too. You see this in the NBA. There's a lot of guys like Daniel Gafford, right? Just incredible offensive rebounders. And, and I don't know why it doesn't always translate from offensive rebounding to defensive rebounding. And I, I don't, it just you feel like it should, but it, it doesn't work that way. Um, okay, let's move on to before we kind of we're going to go on to PJ Washington here. Um. I know you you guys, Matt, I know especially you've been watching a lot of PJ Washington. Up and down season, I think fair to say. Slightly different role this year. Increased usage, more off the dribble game, a little bit more creativity. Um, Matt, you've kind of been watching a lot of PJ Washington film. What are your thoughts on PJ that you've seen so far this season? And and how do you think it might play out here with Charlotte? Yeah, Um the first thing, and this is finally the time I can talk about the LaMelo ball piece and why I think he is so important to this roster offensively is 
they have so this team is like crazy athletic, right? If you look, I looked at some numbers, like you guys are, I think it might've changed last time I looked at it, fourth in offensive rebounds per game, eighth in steals per game, 10th in blocks per game, something like that. You're top 10, all those, those are all like indicators of athleticism. And you look, you have like all of those, like on paper, like rangy toolsy guys, you use the word James, um, like Ubre, McDaniels, love McDaniels. Um, uh, Washington is one of those guys. And I think like the reason why, so there are all these like, play finisher guys and you know they have the ability to get out in transition and run and be so fast and blitz teams and finish around the rim and if you look at all their efficiencies they're all down partially because again somebody's got to take the on-ball load with these guys being hurt and you know they haven't been exposed to as many on-ball reps yet it's a part of the learning curve and I think this will help them later on in their careers but LaMelo's a guy who like he takes all that rangy uncontrolled athleticism and he like he tames it, which sounds weird because he looks kind of wild himself when he's moving around the courts. But his is like, I like to call it like a calculated recklessness. You know, I I think of Manu Ginobili whenever I think about it. You know, Manu Ginobili is like this this crazy guy and it, to the outside eye. It looks like he's just being wild, but there's it's like so calculated and he's just so much smarter than all of us. And I think that's how it is with Ball. And I think he can take all these guys and kind of weaponize them like perfectly and maximize their utility um, and I think that's something that's really been hurting Washington this year. When you look at his efficiency, I think that I think three point shooting is a very like volatile stat for most shooters in the NBA. And I think like for his career, he's always been like a good three point shooter around 37% per game or something like that. And so he's down all bit. I think that's hurting his efficiency. So offensively, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of uneven with him. I do like, I like when they post him up on smaller guys, like quick hitting post ups where he can just, you know, one dribble attack. I like – I wish they used him in the short roll more. I don't know why they don't. I think he's he's a really good short roll passer at that size. I wish they would do that with him more. I think that will maybe come back when ball is back and they'll run more ball screens like that. Um, so that's where I'm at with him offensively. Defensively, I don't – it's weird. Like, he has, like, moments where – he can be like a good man defender. I'm thinking right now the image that's coming in my mind against uh, the Blazers. He got matched up on Lillard for a second. He was able to stay with him, kind of force him into the help. But last, yeah, last night, I don't know if you guys noticed this, the Wizards started putting him in the action a lot as like the, the screen navigator. Um, maybe that's just because Kuzma, you know, is a bigger guy and he likes to handle the ball. Maybe that's why it happened more. But like, he did not do well navigating through those screens at all. He looked really stiff, did not look that fluid. I've heard like people say he's supposed to have like a little bit of versatility on defense. I don't, I don't necessarily see it. He just kind of, he just kind of exists. He doesn't really pop to me. I do like some of his rim protection. The team is better, a better um, paint protecting team when he's on the floor, despite them being way worse when Plumlee is on the floor and they do share a lot of minutes together. So that's a good indicator to me that like Washington in isolation is actually like a solid secondary rim protector, but the, I know I'm talking a lot, but the, the thing that came out, I think it was earlier last week, right, is that he wants, like, Keldon Johnson money. Am I correct? Yeah, the report yeah, and, was. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I just – I don't know where I'm at with that because Keldon Johnson's also not really that good of a defender. I, I'd consider them probably on the same plane. Maybe Washington's got more upside to me. But offensively, like, Keldon Johnson has this really cool package where he's a great shooter, but he's also, like, a powerful driver. And – I think that's just that unique skill set makes him um, worth money where with Washington, I'm just like, 
I really need to see what it looks like with Ball this year. Again, how he looks with him now that he has the extra reps as an on-ball guy too. But in terms of like that that number, the, the actual number itself, the 20, 22 million or whatever, I, I, I've been trying to figure out, I don't know if either one of you guys knows what the average um, annual salary for a starter is because I, I think he can be a starter caliber player, but I think it will. So if you pay him like 20 million a year, right? And then two years, the cap spikes up a bunch. I think that could look like a bargain. So like, I, I know I said a lot and I didn't come to any conclusions, but that's kind of where I'm at with him. And I'm sure it's like similar to you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm as muddled as you are. Mm. Um, you you used to you used the phrase moment twice in your monologue there, and I think it's the perfect phrase because he's a moment player. You see moments and you go, oh, he switched on to the guard. Oh, he matched up really well with Sabonis in the post. Oh, look at him pull up from three. Oh, look at him on the short roll passing, creating, and then you watch him another night and he doesn't do any of those things and he lacks urgency. You know, he missed the box out on uh, Evan Mobley, I think it was in the Cleveland game, to, to completely blow just the physicality. He has been Mr. Inconsistent. I thought that was kind of down to a little bit of conditioning. He come into the year in much better shape, and I still think that is the case. But I've kind of realized it's nothing to do with conditioning. He is just an inconsistent player. And to be a starter in this league, you have to be consistent. And you never know what you're going to get at PJ Washington every night. If you try to bet the over-unders for PJ Washington, it's exhausting. Like, you know, he, he is a, you know, I think it's just so fluctuates depending on matchups. Um, it's completely bizarre. I've tried to like put together why, why does he do well in certain games and not others? And I'm just at a complete loss. And for me, I just think he will be a, rot- I think he's a rotation player because I, I don't think he's ever going to have the consistency to start in the league. Um, he, he could be a fifth starter, but like he's he's not ever going to be like someone who I think you put the ball in the hands to to go and do stuff because there's just too turnover prone. Um, defensively, his rebounding has been terrible this year, um, and this this Hornets team really needs rebounding. Um, so I'm as confused as you are. I'm kind of. I was of the idea that they had to extend him and they should have extended him before uh, the season. I have to say I've been a little bit disappointed with what I've seen so far, even though that the peaks have probably been higher than last year, but so have the lulls as well. Yeah, and my thing is, like, um, I know it's common practice when you're talking about young players. You should never... And I think maybe the problem here is he might be too old for this kind of analysis now that he's, like, 24, but you should never you should never look at like the entire picture, like statistical profile, just focus on the peaks because, you know, young players are always inconsistent. That's part of growing up. You learn to be consistent. And if you have like high peaks, you'll learn to be consistently good. And if you have like, you know, just if you're just like average all the time, you'll just learn to be consistently average. So like, I mean, I do like a lot of the peaks. I like the idea of him. I like I like the idea of him, like, you know, filling the lane as balls, like, you know, storming down the court. But yeah, I'm kind of I'm curious. I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, I want to see how the rest of the season goes. One of those foundational pieces that is going to be a high level part of your rotation when you're a high or like a competing team and can make like an actual playoff push rather than like a push for the nine or ten seed in the play in or something like that. Like it's good. It's important to get those guys locked up because you never know when you can get them again. Clearly, we're learning that right now. 
so it, I think there's value in just like extending guys and continuing to give them chances, especially as like a small market team like the Hornets that's not reeling in anybody probably that they're going to sign for $20 million a year. And PJ, like the, he is very, he is inconsistent. Like there's no arguing that, but I think that, I mean, up until this year, which if it continues through the rest of this year, then it's just probably a part of who he is as a player, because like you guys said, he's 24 and this year is really the first year since he was a rookie where he's had like a consistent role as a starter. And since everyone's been hurt all year, he's pretty much been the second or third or sometimes the best player on the team the entire season. Like he hasn't been, you know, shifting in and out of being like, Oh, he's the fourth option. Now he's the number one option tonight because LaMelo Gordon Terra, like they've all been out most of the time. So he's had this, he's been dealing with it the whole time. He's still a little bit inconsistent. I'm hoping that it can work itself out throughout the year as he like gets used to these reps. Like he's never gotten on ball reps in this specific fashion where he's like, bringing not necessarily like bringing the ball up the court but catching the ball at half court and being like all right guys like I'm going to organize this like we're going to do something I'm going to take the ball to the rim I'm going to call out a set or whatever Steve Clifford is asking for like he's never had to do that like the he was a starter then he was a bench player then he was a hybrid starter bench player when they needed a small ball five and now he's a full-time starter again but he's got like I think this year before it really becomes like a like a tag on him as a player let me just be clear real quickly, James. Like, I'm 100% like for the idea of re-signing um, P.J. Washington. You draft, you tank, you do things like that for guys like P.J. Washington. I still exactly. think he's, he's going to be, like, a, a good NBA player. I just don't know where, like, I'm at. When I, when I watch young guys, I'm always trying to figure out where am I at with them, like, when they're in their mm-hmm. prime. Like, what do I think he's a top 75 guy, top 100 guy, top, you know, 150 guy? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I just want to say, like, I really want to see – I don't know if it's going to happen anymore, but I would love, I think the most vibey Hornets lineup and the one where you really see PJ Washington flourishes him at the small ball five, Mm. Ubre McDaniels, DSJ ball. Just imagine like the chaos, you know, DSJ loves to pressure the ball. Him is like your, your point of attack guy. You got McDaniels roaming around in the wing with Ubre and then LaMelo just running the show in transition. I think that would really unlock all of those guys and it would look really, really, really pretty. Well, for a number of years, the best lineups for the Hornets were the ones with P.J. Washington at center mm-hmm. under James Borrego. And then as soon as Steve Clifford was appointed, you you kind of got the feeling that was going to go away, and it has. Uh, P.J. Washington has played center, I believe, in like, I think it was one game where he played small ball five. Um, and that was, I think, due to more foul trouble more than anything else. Um, but I, I agree, that's that's where he like has more advantage off the dribble because he's playing against bigger, slower guys. He gets more space out on the perimeter because guys wanting to stay close to the rim. Um, but it's just defensively, the team has struggled with that. And I think Steve Clifford would would worry about the rebounding there. Um, if he only was seven foot, I think he'd be like a great center. <laughs> but he's just like six, seven. He's pretty undersized. Um, so I, I agree. I, I still like PJ Washington as a player on the team. I just, I think you could, different people can make an argument that he is plays a different role and each one of those in like three years, I'd be like, yeah, he could be that. Like, I think he's just going to be one of those players that a little bit like Jeff Green, where like no one quite know, knew how to use Jeff Green or quite what his role was. And you always felt that he should be used a different way. And when he used in that way, you felt it should be a different way. I just feel like he might have a similar, similar role as that. Okay, moving on to our last segment. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some advanced stats. And I got a little quiz for Chase and Matt here. 
um, which which we're going to finish with. So, and I'm going to publish this over on sihornets.com. So make sure you, you go over read. Um, catch all stats. I've gone through the six of what I think are probably like the best advanced analytics. So that's box score plus minus, win shares, Raptor, real plus minus, FIC and EPM. And I have gone through all the Hornets players who've played like good minutes. So I've not included Kai Jones, Lamelo Ball in this because I just felt the sample sizes were too small. And I've ranked all the Hornets players and where they average out essentially in each one of those. And I've ranked them from, from first to 12th in terms of the overall rank. And this is just for this season, right? So that everything we're talking about here, this is not the, the statistics and this is not our thoughts of them for, for their career, but just this season. So we're going to run through here. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to throw them to you. Um, the first question I have for you is, which player on the Hornets do you think has the best overall catch-all rank amongst those six advanced analytics? Matt, do you want to go first? first? It's going to be DSJ. Okay, Chase? Yeah, see, that was – I was thinking it can't be someone that plays too many minutes because – that's like no stat is going to favor the Hornets over a large sample size this year, but it has to be someone that plays enough to be like impactful. I'll say Nick Richards just so we have a different answer, but I was, I was picking, but yeah, I was, I was picking between Dennis Smith and Nick Richards. Okay. You're both wrong. Ooh, You're both wrong. Um, The first overall player. In fact, I'll give you mulligans. You can go again. Oh no. Um, (laughs) Uh, Go, Matt McDaniel's. I would love if the answer was McDaniel's, but um, Matt Richards. Is it Teo Maladon? You're both wrong again. Oh my! Oh, it, wow, we're running through like the whole roster at this. Yeah, point. that's the whole. I'm there, there, are only, there are only eight guys that have played with the injuries and stuff. I can't imagine. Anybody, anybody else? I'm, I'm going to put you out in misery with embarrassment as much as I'm enjoying this. All right. Kelly Oubre. I would, I would have been my last guess. Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, maybe the, maybe the catch-alls are as preferential to, like, really aesthetically pleasing players. As well, I'm. Kelly yeah, Oubre has an overall catch-all rank of 86. So, of okay. all players, okay. there's 372 players who played at least the number of minutes to qualify for this. And Kelly Oubre is the best, ranking 86th. Um, hey, man. Derek White. Derek White of this season, I'm telling you. <laughs> I can't so, wait to watch him put up 35 off of Philly's bench in the Eastern Conference semifinals or something like that. Yeah, and we'll just be sitting here, like, with smoke yeah. coming out of our ears. Like <laughs> That'll guarantee Doc Rivers another 10 years as an NBA. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the, the one that really helps me here is RPM, where he ranks 10th. 10th in the mm-hmm. league, real plus minus, which is bizarre. Uh, okay, next up, number two. Um, Chase, you can go first. Yeah. Well, in fact, hold I'll... on. You, you guys have already guessed here a few. So let me, I'm going to run through because you've already said a couple, actually. Second is Dennis Smith Jr., catch your rank of 92. All right, so just behind Kelly Oubre. Next is Nick Richards with a catch your rank of 105. So you guys were close with your first two guesses. You had two okay. of the top three. Um, after that, we get into like a, a kind of a bunch of guys. I want to ask you who you think is last is my next question. So Chase, I'm going to have you go first. Who do you think is last on the Hornets in average catch-all rank? 
I hate to do this. I really hate it. I think it's because he takes a lot of threes and hasn't been making them very much. Is it Terry Rozier? Matt, your guess. I think it's Plumlee. James Booknight. Okay. Okay, that makes that's, sense. That's, that's, he's this is relieving. <laughs> now, of the 372 players, would you both like to guess where James Booknight ranks on the average catch-all rank? 371 in front of Killian Hayes, beating out only <laughs> Killian Hayes. It has to be that. <laughs> uh, although I'll, I'll, I'll go like 355. I'll give him a little buffer. It, 365. Um, okay. So, so in so, the middle, basically. Yeah, in the middle. Uh, you're right. You're right. The Killian Hayes and Jabari Smith Jr. and James Booknight were at the bottom of all these lists. <laughs> like, yeah. absolutely all of them. So I was looking at, because I was writing an article about Jason Tatum last week, and he's been, you know, shooting the lights out of the balls. True shooting is awesome. I was trying to see where he was percentile wise in the league for some perspective. And I somehow scrolled to the bottom and way down like way down last player is Killian Hayes and then 10 percentage points higher than him as the second worst true shooting percentage was James Booknight and I'm like man because when you watch like a, a Hornets game I always watch it Eric Collins as the broadcaster he makes James Booknight seem passable <laughs> he makes him seem passable and so I never mm. really thought about it I'm just like oh he's he's doing whatever but he's not it's been tough poor guy I mean he's been so bad that he's not even a topic of conversation anymore like he's become mm. He's become boring to talk about because there's nothing to say other than whenever he touches the floor, he's a disaster on both ends. That's that's Was it. One of you guys who said that like he might not be like a good G League player. That was the Buzzbeat guys because I listened to okay. the same podcast you did, but okay. he he wasn't a good G League player last year. I did a whole thread where I looked at, I watched a game with James Booknight and did a whole video thread, and I was my plan was to like clip. Oh, I'm gonna try and pull out some reasons here why. You know, things he does in the G League, which suggests why he's not playing for the Hornets. This ended up being like a 15-clip thread from one game where he just switched on, switched off all the time and made mistake after mistake, offensive, defensive. It was was terrible. Yeah, after the pod's over, after we're done recording, funny Noel Noel Gillespie story. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll circle back on that. Right, overall, out of the eleven, uh, no, hold on here, out of the yeah, eleven Hornets ranked. Where did you think Terrorizier ranked in the catchalls? Uh, Matt, I'll let you go first. Uh, just the, the face that Chase was making. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with tenth. I think he's second to last. I hate doing this to Terry. I love, I have, I have not stuck by Terry's side for like five years. To, to do this to him on and Terry's been playing hurt. Let's let's make this clear. Yeah, Terry. Uh, yeah, Terry yeah, was definitely. was 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 struggling when he came back last year from the ankle. Uh, he came back pretty early, and it's very clear he's not one hundred percent, and he's overburdened on offense, just being the focal point of like all the opposing teams' defensive focus. So I don't think this is all really that fair on Terry, but he he hasn't been good or efficient yet. But there's a lot of context as to why that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just for the listeners at home, you know, what these catch-all metrics do basically is, like, they rank how good you are at your specific role. And, like, what they're asking Terry Rozier to do is be God. And, you know, he's just not – he's not good at being God. So that's why he he's doing poorly. He might, you know, he's yeah. one of the better, better NBA players in the world. He's not that bad. Chase, what was your overall rank? 
Matt Miller I'll give him tenth. I'll give him eighth. I, okay. I can't. I, I he is tenth. Person. Matt is right. He's uh, tenth. Uh, I, Ter- I, I knew he was close when I guessed him for last. Oh god. Rosier ranks behind McDaniel's, Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, Mason Plumley. By the way, was fourth on the list <laughs> uh, for the advanced stats. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and JT Thor was very close behind James Booknight with an average catch-all rank of 356 behind James Booknight's 365. Um, so that uh, that 2021 draft class is not looking too hot right now um, with their, their overall catch ranks. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna post some of this so people can see the the kind of specific rankings in each. But um, yes, just a, an example there. Like the Hornets have basically five players in the top 200 in the stat, uh, which just goes to show the struggles that they, they've had this year. Um, and, I, you know, who would have thought Kelly Oubre would have been first by advanced analytics for the Hornets this year? Um, so credit to Kelly Oubre because he has been playing hard. He's been one of the guys who I think has been putting in a good level of effort. And he's been, you know, with very little help around him, been able to put up some semi-ish efficient offensive numbers. Um, yeah, so an, an interesting exercise there, and I appreciate you guys playing along. It was fun. I, I like it. I liked it a lot. Right. I think we've covered everything for today. Uh, anything else either of you want to touch on? Any little nuggets of info or points you want to get, get out there before we get out of here? Um, just one thing. I wish JT Thor got more playing time. Only because I love Eric Collins calling him. What does he call him? Like the Thunder God. I love. I love hearing God it. Thunder. I love God it. God of Thunder. I love it. So that's the only reason why I'm rooting for more PT for him, even though yet you know hasn't been the most fruitful minutes. No, absolutely not. And I, yeah, I, I think the last thing I wanted to get out there was that I was looking at this. I was thinking JT Thor, James Buck Knight. Like these are guys, even Kai Jones, guys who all picked up the sport late, right? They all, I think they all started playing basketball at the age of like 15, 16, a lot like the most. And I think you're really seeing that now in like the, the struggle in the feel areas of the game where you need to be able to read and react. And that's really where all these guys are having issues, decision-making. Um, and I do wonder if after that draft, the you know even Mark Williams picked up. I was trying to look it up. He wasn't an, an early player of the sport. He was a guy you're big, start playing basketball. Oh okay. Um, I wonder if the Hornets do pivot away from like picking those toolsy late coming to the sport guys. You you hope they can turn out like Giannis, where like oh they just tap into all the potential which they they have in the world because they've got physical gifts and they've started playing the sport late. But that doesn't always. It's not always the case. Sometimes. It just means that you've actually lost key development time and you will continue to be a little bit mechanical and unnatural when playing the sport. But yeah, those guys need to play. If it's in Greensboro, fine. If it's in Charlotte, fine. But going forward this year, I, I know Steve Cuffey, you want to hold people accountable, but just for the fans to enjoy it, I think fans would enjoy losing these games, but being able to see these guys get some minutes and make baby steps along the season go, rather than seeing like a, a good night from Mason Plumley or Kelly Bray. So let's let's move those guys, get some draft assets of some sort, um, and let's let's open up some time. Mitch, you're in charge of that. That's my open letter to you, Mitch Kupchak, to uh, to do that and not give Steve Clifford a choice. Right. Well, Chase, Matt, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, appreciate you taking the time, Matt, to come out, make time for us to to come on the podcast, and we will speak to you soon.